This episode is a talk taken from Love Inbound 2019. If you want to register for Love Inbound 2020, head to loveinboundevent.com. I'm going to talk to you today about what the flywheel is. Does anybody know what the flywheel is, just offhand? One hand goes up, two, three, okay, a couple of people. How many people here are familiar with HubSpot, first of all? Good few of you. Okay. Is anybody not using the platform? Any completely newbies? Lovely. This hopefully will still be relevant for you, even if you're not using HubSpot. So I want to talk to you about what the flywheel is and why we're thinking about uh, this, this term in marketing differently, why it matters to your business, and ultimately to leave you with some tips around what you can do differently about your business to be able to implement things like the flywheel in your organization. Cool. So my name is Robbie. Uh, I'm a principal channel consultant. That probably means nothing to you guys, but essentially I work with some of the top partners and agencies based in EMEA with HubSpot. Uh, so I've been around uh, for about two and a half years, and it's led me to work with some of the top agencies like Digital22. And I'd just like to take a moment to recognize them because I don't know if they, you're aware of this, but their humility has led them not to announce this, but they have effectively been uh, just named 2018 EMEA Partner of the Year, which is phenomenal news. So congratulations. <laughs> the entire team at Digital 22. And for me, one of the things that makes this most special is the fact that during the course of 2018, they actually took a pause and didn't sell to, to any new customers for a total of three months. That's a quarter of the year that they said, nope, we're not going to add any more new customers into our bucket. We're just going to focus on the customers that are in our system at the moment and that we're currently delivering success to so that they're getting the most value out of the platform and out of the work that they're doing. So huge round of applause to the guys. It's a fantastic achievement. Okay, so as I mentioned, after this talk, hopefully you'll leave here with information about the flywheel, why it matters to your business, and what you should do about it. But to start off, I want to talk to you about what the flywheel is, okay? Bit of an unusual term, but we'll, we'll get into it. So in order to explain the flywheel, we first need to sort of think about what the funnel is, because the flywheel is, a, is an emergence from the funnel. This is the traditional funnel, I presume everybody has seen this, yeah? You put, you start with your marketing at the top, and you lead to sales, and then ultimately your end customers come out of the bottom of the funnel. It's a very linear approach, and it really looks at customers being the aftermath of a lot of the work that goes into it. But we want to think about this slightly differently. And this comes down to, you might not be able to see this, but this comes down to how people are actually changing the decisions that they're making and what they're using to base those decisions on. So first and foremost, we see that when it comes to the sources that people rely on before making a decision to buy software, the, the most important one here is word of mouth. It's friends, it's social media, it's referrals, customer references is not far off. And you can see right down at the bottom here, if there's any salespeople in the room, 22% of people rely on salespeople to make decisions. So the mentality is changing and the way people are making decisions is changing. Which essentially means that the marketing funnel is not completely dead, but there's certainly some holes or some cracks in it. Which led HubSpot to think about what we can do differently and how we can approach this in a slightly different way. And that's led us towards the flywheel. Okay? So the flywheel is, instead of thinking about customers at the end of that journey and the, the aftermath of all of the work that's being put in, we're trying to put customers at the center of this whole process. We're trying to think about customers as being the driving force behind a lot of the activity that we do and the, the actual new customers that we're trying to bring on. So we have um, people who are unknown to the business and, and might be uh, completely new to the organization, that's, they're trying to be attracted through the marketing tools. 
which then leads to uh, bringing prospects on with the sales tools, and then leads to Service Hub creating those those um, really the, the people who are going to promote and, and think about HubSpot or promote the organization in a different way. So it's broken down into three different stages. I briefly mentioned one of them already. The first one is around attract. So it's trying to think about how to uh, bring prospects in with solutions to the problems. So a lot of the inbound methodology is built on personas, understanding what problems you're going to be able to solve, and then how to promote that in front of the audience that cares about it. So we've got lots of tools that you can use in the Marketing Hub. We've added a lot more onto it. So instead of it just being a funnel, which is going through to a, a conversion path, which ends on a, on, a, on a form, on a page, we've got lots of different tools in there, like lead flows and, and bots to help capture information and try and build a behavioral in, insight into what your prospects are doing on your site or with your organization. The next stage then is to go into engage. So once we have those contacts in our database and in our, in our organization, we want to figure out how to actually engage them on their terms. What information we need to surface up to our sales teams to make that, uh, the, the approach or the outreach as, as um, relevant and as informative as possible and value adding. So really we're trying to add value in every single part of this journey without, before we start extracting value. And then we move on to the delight stage. So um, delight is a huge part of this process, and really you should be looking at how to implement delight across every interaction in your organization. So we have built out our, our service hub, but un, like the, the delight function should be actually embedded in your entire organization at every single touch point. This is a lovely animated GIF. It moves around. It's lovely. Uh, but essentially what we're trying to do here is, is uh, the purpose of the flywheel is built around momentum. It's having a central point at which that, that wheel can move, and then all of the individual activities that you do as a business feeds towards this momentum and starts building a driving force behind it. So your customers should be at the center of your business and should be that driving force behind your organization. So why does this matter to your business? Right, we've got lots of different people in the room from lots of different areas. Um, this is really something that you can employ or uh, build out within your organization in any different market that you operate in or with any different personas that you're trying to attract. But a really interesting stat here is that 80% of CEOs believe that they offer superior customer service to their competitors. Anything wrong with that metric? There might be a bit of over, yeah, we've got a hand up. Yeah. Why don't they believe that? Where's the where's the confidence in their own their own business? Yeah. I'd also say that you know only 50% of people can have a superior service to the other 50%. So there's still a little bit of confidence there in, in CEOs, which isn't something that that should be sniffed at. But of those 80% of people, what percentage do you think of customers actually agree with those CEOs? Any ideas? Less than half. Yeah. Nobody showed any even numbers, or we might start a. I couldn't fight. Anybody else? Less than half is the first option that we've got out on the table? 20%. 20%? What was the other number? Eight. Eight? You've done your research? 8%. Only... <laughs> Nicely done. Sorry? It's your favorite number? Nice. Um, that's pretty impressive. It's, it's pretty concerning, actually, is, more, is a better word to use for it. Only 8% of customers agree with the CEOs that think they deliver better service. That's a significant gap. That's 72% of people who are totally wrong about their approach to their business. 
And that gap is really where we want to understand more about. We want to dig into it. We want to, we want to understand what's actually driving that gap. Where is that misalignment in expectations? So I work a lot with, with uh, marketing agencies, but I also see the customers that, that they bring on as well. And for me, the biggest thing and the biggest issue comes down to a misalignment of expectations. If you have a client that thinks they're going to be up here, and that could be a customer, it could be a prospect, that thinks they're going to achieve goals that, that are up here, but you know as a business you're only able to, to get to this level, this gap is where that relationship is going to break down, and that's what causes problems. So this gap is really what we're going to try and dig into today. I'm going to try and give you some insights into how we can actually close it. But a lot of this is based on the flywheel. Okay, so the flywheel is this momentum builder, and uh, momentum is a really strong force that you want to have in your organization. But there are things that impact on that momentum. And those things are built around friction. Right? Friction are the issues in the organization that might not be a smooth process for your clients or your prospects. They might be things that are just, they just happen because that's the way we've always done it, but actually it's not adding value for your clients or for your internal teams. It's things that hamper the experience of that customer and ultimately lead to that misalignment in, in expectations. So anyone have any ideas around what sort of friction points there might be in an organization? This is a bit of an ask the audience situation, so if you want to shout out some ideas, what could, be, what could prevent an organization from driving the momentum that they need in, in its, the, the client side? Not understanding the customers. Understanding the customers, yeah. Great example. Processes, yeah. What about the processes? Outdated. Outdated? Yeah. Uh, the yeah. Inefficiencies, unproductive, maybe not thinking about the customer at the center point of it. Maybe it's things that are antiquated and that they just they happen because we've always done it that way. So these are they're definitely examples of it as well, and we've got a few in here. We can think about even the handoff points. So the point at which uh, the marketing team hands a lead or a contact over to the sales organization. What data are they using to, to transfer that information across? Where does that data exist? Uh, what points are we actually transferring over? And, and are we displaying or bubbling up the information that's relevant to the contacts to be able to help the business to deliver the success that they need? Maybe poor internal processes, confusing communications. An atmosphere of not my problem. That's a, that's a pretty insidious thing to have in an organization and can cause a huge amount of friction. That's where people in the, in, the, in the company are thinking that they see a situation happen and they're like, okay, that's caused a bit of frustration for the client, but it's not my problem. I'm not really going to care about it. Even things like looking at customers as just a number or a name, they're not actually looking beyond that at the relationship that exists to lead to the customer being a, a, an important part of that organization. And then things that are very manual. Things that require a huge amount of personnel time, that require the customer to do a lot of things. You know, what we want to think about is how can we reduce the manual aspect of the, the processes that we have internally. So some momentum things. Um, some options or some, some examples here that can cause this flywheel to spin, spin quicker and to actually build momentum. Can everybody see that? Am I standing on the wrong side of it? So things like onboarding, right? So onboarding might be uh, external onboarding, bringing on new customers. It could be internal onboarding, and I know the guys in Digital 22 have put a lot of work into their internal onboarding process, where they're trying to get their teams trained up as quickly as possible so that they're able to influence an action and add value to their clients in the really early days of their, their career. Asking for feedback. How many people here 
ask their customers for feedback. A few hands are going up. Yeah. I want to really understand why everybody isn't asking for feedback. That's a huge part of the relationship where you can dig into things that have gone well, things that have gone poorly. Understanding where that gap or this misalignment is to be able to help you to make actions to change that. Testimonials. We saw that people base their decisions around other customer reviews and feedback and testimonials. So momentum builders can be getting testimonials from a client and using that within your sales process. Things like reward programs, uh, problem solving, the, the ticketing system or where somebody is asking a question of the client or of your organization, that's a really interesting breakpoint. That's where they've got a problem, they come to the business looking for a solution to that problem, and if that takes a long time to solve or to respond to, or maybe it goes from one person to another to another, or it's a confusing or complicated process, that's going to leave a bit of a sour taste in the mouths of your clients and your customers. Even thinking of customers as the lifeblood of your organization. This is where your revenue is coming from. This is where your entire organization is built to try and bring more customers on and, and add value. So the, the approach that you take to your customers and your clients is, is a huge part of that. And then obviously the opposite of, of the manual side is automation and self-service. So what, what parts of your business can you analyze, can you look at, can be automated? Can you reduce the manual influence and the requirements on the actual people to respond on things? So how can you automate a lot of this stuff in your organization? Okay, stage three. What are you going to do about it? Okay, so what I want to break down here is five quick options that you guys can think about when it comes to understanding how the flywheel can be implemented in your, your, your company. The first is I want you to map out your buyer's or your customer's journey. So HubSpot has typically been built around the buyer's journey. It's been looking at the way in which prospects interact with the marketing you have, with the sales teams, but in most places it actually stops when they become a customer. I don't know why that is. Right? So what I think you should do here is really map out what that customer journey is. Understand what are the touch points, what are the, what are the interactions that your clients have as soon as they become a customer. Right? So once they, be, once they actually purchase, what are the steps that need to be taken? What are the actions that, that, that need to be created on your side or on the client's side? Who's responsible for them and what teams are looking after that or own that process? A key part of this is to review all touch points. A touch point could be anything from an automated email to your customer service line to a sales sequence that you send out to your clients. So all touch points that your customers are interacting with are ways that they're actually taking insights from what's happening in your business and they're making their decision based on that. So every single touch point that your clients could interact with is something that you should be analyzing and assessing. Is it working? Is it efficient? Is it adding value? Are we solving the problem? Is this the right way to do it? Do we need a 15-minute sequence on your customer phone line to be able to help guide that customer? Or could we do something slightly different and help maybe create a, a bot on our website to help solve the problems that they have without them needing to sit on the phone for 20 minutes? Considering mystery shoppers. Has anyone done mystery shopping before? Yeah, a few hands are going up. So mystery shopping is a, is a really interesting way for people in the organization to understand what's actually happening. What are our customers dealing with? What sort of experiences do they have and interactions do they have with our organization? So you could do a mystery shopper here where you just pretend that you're, uh, you're, you're somebody who, a prospect for your organization or somebody who might be interested in, in buying a product and seeing what that relationship is like. Create a fake email. 
Get your salespeople to respond to them as, as you would normally. Have a click around on a, on, on a different um, laptop that you use so that we can you know, use different behavioral insights from the, the activity that you're on the site. And just see what the sort of relationship looks like. See what sort of feedback you get. See what sort of experience you have as a mystery shopper. You can learn an awful lot for that. It's the same reason that uh, in the US and in the UK, they have the undercover CEO, an under undercover boss. Those shows really help to, to give you insights into what actually could be happening at the coalface of your organization. An example of this um, is really mapping out that journey. Okay? So on the left-hand side, we have customer interactions. We have internal processes, touch points, the actors involved in that journey, the emotions that your clients might be going through when they're uh, interacting with, your, with, your, uh, with the, the actors in that situation. The opportunities that exist in that little bit of uh, that, that moment, that interaction that they have. And you can map this out day zero, day 30. You can map this out depending on whatever your organization is set up like and, and however that process uh, for customers is unfolding. And this can go through everything from their, their signing a proposal form and their becoming a customer, the whole way through to conference calls, reviewing project plans, reassessing goals, and, and, and understanding the expectations that they have. So, Going through this will help you get a, a sort of mind map of everything that's happening across your company to be able to figure out, is this the right thing that we're doing? Should we be doing things slightly differently? The next thing I want to talk about is listening to your team. Your team are the people who are on the coalface of the organization. They are the people who interact with customers on a significant basis. They are the people who understand the sorts of breakpoints that your clients are having. So go to them. Ask them. What are processes that could be improved? What's not working well at the moment? What are things that, that we could look at doing differently? What do customers get frustrated by? Frustrated customers are going to be pissed off customers. They're going to be people who bounce off the processes that you have. And then they go and they tell people, oh, that was not a crap experience. I'm going to go to somebody different. We don't, want it. we don't want that to happen. We want to talk to our customers, know where their frustrations are, go back to them, solve those frustrations so that the process is as seamless and, and smooth as possible for the next people coming through the door. Your entire organization is a part of this. So HubSpot recently, about six to eight months ago, uh, went out to every single customer in the company, and, sorry, every single employee in the company, and basically asked them, what are things that frustrate your clients? Where are the breakpoints? Where are the the times at which we're causing a lot of friction with the, with the customers that we have. And everybody responded with their own insights into different areas that could be improved based on the departments. That was collated into a huge list. Sorry, I don't want to say huge because that's implying that we're not doing things very well, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of employees in, in HubSpot, so a lot of constructive feedback was coming back. And from that list, we pulled out uh, a couple of very key, what we call sharp edges. And those sharp edges are things where we want to try and improve upon. We, we, we know there are potential issues in, in the, the client or in the company, and we want to figure out how can we close the gap and really add value at every turn. So that's a huge thing you could do with your, client, with, your, with your company, and really going to the team, asking them what's happening, and seeing if they've got solutions or suggestions on how to improve it. And empowering change. Luke was talking there about empowerment. We had uh, Mark as well talking about making that change in your life. You need to empower that mentality in your employees. You need to get them to think about you know, not looking at this isn't my problem. This is everybody's problem. This is the whole, your whole organization's problem. These are things that we can solve by having, uh, committing resources and by understanding what the need is and then by influencing and in, in, uh, uh, building out change as well. 
That all makes sense? Yeah? Great. Third step here is to ask your customers. So we talked about feedback. We talked about going to your clients and understanding what are the things that they're looking for. What are the things that they came to us that they expected but they didn't get? What, are they, what, what other competitors are they looking at and what are they seeing as benefits in those organizations? So first and foremost is NPS. The, of the people that are asking for feedback, are you using NPS as the method for that? Yeah, a few of you are. Yeah. Sure. I completely agree with you. I think MPS works very well in certain situations and in scale. And actually, I think you should do a combination of both, if I'm totally honest, because it might be easier for you to get feedback from your clients if they know that it's not going to involve a long talk or a deep dive into the, into the relationship that you have. But I think a combination of all of these things, and one of the things I will mention here is actually doing a deep dive with your loyal customers so that you're... An NPS only allows you to get a brief moment in time and get a very quick response, but we want to take that a little bit further and actually build on that and understand more about what that relationship means to those clients. Does everybody know what NPS means? Well, it stands for Net Promoter Score. Okay, so Net Promoter Score is essentially a term used to describe a pretty simple question. How likely are you as a prospect, as a customer, to recommend us to your colleagues or your friends? It's a, it's a sliding scale from, from 1 to 10. And essentially, anybody from 1 to 6 is a detractor. So that's a score of minus 1. 7 to 8 is neutral. And then 9 and 10 is a promoter. So what you do at the end of this, when you send out to 100 people, if you get uh, 60, well, let's say 10 detractors, and you get uh, 80 neutral, and then you get 10 promoters, you're essentially you're, you're, you're at a net promoter score of 0. What you really want to do is try and drive that net promoter score as high as possible and use this as an opportunity to ask for feedback, understand what's happening, and see if you can make any changes in the business. Review the customer's experience at different stages. So the journey mapping that I showed you up there was customer comes on board, and then we have a review call in 30 days. But your business might be slightly different. You might be selling software. You might be selling services. Understanding what experience they're having at different stages of their life cycle can make a massive difference in, in figuring out where those breakpoints are. So it could be after an onboarding, it could be after a recent sale, it could be after an event. Where are those things that you can uh, really tie the, their feedback down to specific actions that that business has taken or specific parts in their journey as a customer? And after specific touch points. In HubSpot, we do this quite well with our customer support team. If anybody has interacted with our support team or logged a ticket in HubSpot, you have probably got an MPS request at the end of that, which is essentially asking how quick did we respond on it? Did we give the answer that, we were that you were looking for, that you were expecting? So when you can ask for feedback after those specific touch points, it means you're getting much more refined feedback to be able to influence change in the business. And as we were talking about there, is really a deep dive with your customers, right? So MPS is going to give you a brief little snapshot. But what we want to think about is, are there ways that we can you know, sit in front of a client that means a huge amount to us? Maybe there's a long relationship there. They've gone through all parts of our journey. They've seen the client or you guys grow as a business. 
Um, are there things that we can pull out of that? Are there things that we could do differently to help them get more, get more value, uh, build more, uh, or, or reach the goals that they had before they came on as a client? And in HubSpot, we have three ways of doing this. The first is our customer loyalty. So this is a continuous monitor on the success of that relationship. We have the customer support, which is essentially once they've reached out and logged a ticket, how do we get the MPS or feedback from that? And then customer experience, which is around the uh, individual touch points that they've had with HubSpot. So these are all three different ways that you can funnel that feedback into different uh, areas and, and really collate it in a way that you can make actionable changes as a result of it. Uh, here are two examples of uh, our customer MPS. So we route this into our Slack uh, tools. So we have this visible for all of our internal teams. And on the bottom there, you can see one MPS response was more visual and user-friendly interface is required. So good bit of feedback, uh, which we actually implemented. And we have recently come out with uh, a new contact deal and uh, company time or, uh, like. Uh, timeline or a view of the contact record. So these are bits of feedback that we are listening to, that we are responding to, and we are making significant changes to our business as a result of it. Number four, most important part of this is to do something about it, okay? To understand what sort of friction points you're going to focus on and to really nail the implementation of change towards those friction points. Right, so focus on your low-hanging fruit. Once you've collated all of this information from the different sources, from your internal teams, from your customers, from your MPS, what are the, what are the things that you can make changes to that are low-hanging fruit, that are easy to do, that are going to have a big influence and, and drive change? Assign ownership and budget. Ownership is a really interesting one because in a lot of cases, the feedback that you get could span across different departments, different teams, different personnel. You want to make sure that you're assigning ownership to certain people to be able to drive the change that's needed in that particular friction point. And budget is also required here as well. And budget doesn't necessarily just mean let's throw a whole lot of money at it. It could mean carving out the space and the time for the people who need to respond to this or that need to influence and, and make these changes to have that space to be able to do it. So budget is also assigning resources and, and allocating time to it as well. And a huge part of this is to close the feedback loop. So 43% of people will not leave feedback if they think that the company doesn't give a shit. 43%. That's a huge number of really potentially positive or constructive bits of feedback that could be changing your business or that could be the next thing that you think about to help drive change. And you're not getting it because the company is deemed as somebody who doesn't care about it. So closing the feedback loop is really important and actually can have a massive difference because if, if somebody takes the time to tell you something about your business that could be done differently, that they feel isn't working well or isn't adding value for them as a client, and you're able to go back to them and say, two months later, six months later, look, thank you very much for your feedback. Here's what we've done differently. Here's how the process has improved. And we'd like to reward you or thank you for that feedback that you've given because it's, it's helped us be a better organization. That's going to leave such a powerful feeling in that customer's, uh, in that customer's mind. And, and they're going to feel a lot more empowered by that relationship and tell a lot more people that this is a company that really cares, that really is implementing the feedback that we're providing and wants to change and wants to be better. So closing the feedback loop is a, is a huge part of this whole process. The last and final one is don't forget the delight. 
So we talked a lot about uh, attracting our new our prospects and bringing them through the, the tools that we have, uh, getting our sales teams to have more information about what that client is doing, what the behavioral aspects are, what they, what they want out of the business, and surfacing that up in the sales process. We now need to think about what that delight function looks like. Okay, So empowering the team to create these wow moments, to really take that ownership and, and move away from it's not my problem to I can, do, I can make, this, I make, make a difference with this customer. I have the power to give them something that's going to help brighten their day or that's going to solve a problem that they have or really move towards the goals that they're trying to target. Surface the customer data in all interactions. So what I mean by this is like if you have a client who is a customer, they've been around with us for six years, for instance, and maybe they've just had a really bad experience in the last couple of weeks, and maybe they submit a ticket into our ticketing system, do you surface that information up, or do you have a way of tagging that this is a customer that is really valuable to your organization or that we want to roll out the red carpet for? Helping every single part of your business know what customer this is or what contact is connected to which deals or which clients will really help to, to ensure that everybody is working off the same data set, that they know the, the people that are really important at the, the center point of that flywheel. Internal peer feedback. So if you have any sort of process around delight, um, asking your teams to, or opening up an opportunity for your teams to uh, give feedback to other people in the organization, can really drive that impairment, right? So that could be sending out a survey or uh, giving an opportunity for a team member to recommend the amazing work that somebody did with a particular client case and to recognize that and to really reward that within, the, within your companies. That's a brilliant way to start driving an atmosphere of you know, customer first and, and, and really adding value. And really this comes down to acknowledging and rewarding. So in HubSpot, we have a peer recognition system, which is basically once a quarter, you can uh, give a monetary amount towards somebody else who has helped you or you've, you feel has gone above and beyond the, the process that they have or their job remit or their job spec. It's not a massive amount of money, but what it does is it allows you to provide that peer-to-peer -peer feedback to, to really drive the, the change and the behaviors that you want to see across the organization. And hopefully, if you can implement all those five steps, you will see your flywheel spinning, and you will have your customers at the center, and you will be understanding what sort of uh, impact you can have or changes that you can make to the processes that you have internally. So that's my talk. Thank you very much. I'll open it up to any questions that anybody might have. I saw on the um, the slide with your Slack channel. Yep. That the comment that was on there yep. was about A/B testing yep. for emails in workflows. In workflows yep. Please tell me that's going to happen soon. There is movement towards us. I can't give you any definition around it, but Delight we are. Me. Pardon? Delight me. Delight you. Yeah. I might take your details afterwards, and, and I'll see if I can send you any information about it. Any, any other questions? questions, Andrew? Um, <clears throat> How often would you suggest asking for MPS yeah. back? It's a, it's a very good question. And it really comes down to the life cycle that your clients go through. So if you have, um, did everybody hear the question? No. How often would you look for an MPS from your customers? It comes down to the, the speed at which your um, clients move through your, their life cycle, uh, and also the sort of 
um, times at which you feel like you want to get that feedback from them. But I would be very conscious and be very wary about over-requesting feedback, uh, especially if you're not having the time to be able to implement any changes as a result of it. So I wouldn't ask, personally, I wouldn't ask for feedback more than once a quarter from any relationships that you have. In terms of the actual, you're going out and asking for it, if it's a touch point like the example I gave around support, that's something that happens naturally as part of their interactions with the, the touch points in the clients. So it really depends on the life cycle of your, of your clients, but I wouldn't do it more than once a quarter because people will start to get frustrated and then maybe they won't actually leave the time or commit the resources to actually give you the information you need. Any other comments, questions? Yeah, there's one there. They're um, individual customers. Um, we probably hear from them maybe once a year. Um, and all of the um, promoters, um, we tend to not touch at all in terms of feedback. I just wonder what your opinion is on what you do with the passives and the detractors. Well, talk to me a little bit why you're not going back to the promoters. So the promote, well, there's a lot. Yep. Uh, we're a small team. Um, and we tend to go to the detractors for yep. feedback more than the passives and the promoters. So we actually have far more of the promoters and the passives than detractors. Um, so just wondered what your opinion is on that. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to resources and where you feel like your priorities should lie. But um, going back to the promoters is really rewarding them and thanking them for their time, thanking them for their feedback, and being able to use potentially in testimonials and customer feedback. So that's an opportunity to drive some extra value from the promoters. But I think you know, a lot of our mindset is focused on what are the problems, what are the challenges that we have, and what are the things that we can do to fix that. So we're naturally geared towards the detractors. And typically, they're the ones who've had a potentially bad experience and had some issues that have led to the bad, the, the bad feedback. So it's not a bad thing that you're focusing on the detractors, and I think it's the right methodology and the right approach to take. Um, are you getting more and more feedback from those? So if, if somebody gives you a, a detractor comment, are you then going back to the same person and digging into that further? Yeah, it's very rare they actually respond yeah. to that um, inquiry. Yeah. Um, the, and we don't do very much with the passives at all. Yeah. Um, it's just resource. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think, to be fair, you're going to get the meat of the feedback from the people who've had a bad experience to help influence the change. So I would keep going as you are and, and making sure that you're getting strong categories that you're able to collate a lot of that data for and that you potentially can go back to some of those detractors and say, here is what we've done differently to solve the problems that you have identified in our organization. Okay, brilliant. Anybody else? Cool, yeah, I've got a yeah. question. So on one of the slides, you showed the NPS Slack. I think yep. it's already been touched on. Uh, I think you said you had like 750 people in that Slack channel. How do you manage that? Because I can imagine when people using HubSpot, that comes in thick and fast. How do you make sure that ends up with, with the right person at the right time? It's a great question. You're, you're really focusing on every single tiny detail of the slides, which I like. That's um, what I do. That's what I do. So yeah, we have, a, we have an open Slack channel for our entire organization. So if you are customer facing or you, you want to just see what's happening across the, the customer base, you can get into that Slack channel and you will see all the feedback that is coming through as it, as it rolls in. What we do have is a system that basically tags the people who are relevant to that client. So you can sit there and watch every single response. You might spend your entire day doing that. Uh, but we have, so if, if I had a customer that had a detractor comment, it would notify me 
through Slack, and then it would tell me that, that this has happened, and this is the customer that, that, and the bit of feedback that they've provided. And it would give me details about their, um, their response and their, their portal that they're operating off. So that helps to try and target and, and focus the attention. But we also have people who are specifically just responsible for the MPS responses and to collate everything to make sense of it. You know, you've got lots of different um, ways that people talk about certain things. They might use different terms for billing or invoices or whatever it is. So those teams are geared towards collating it in a way that's segmentable and that we can dig into in more detail. And then they assign those specific tasks to different departments. So if there are billing issues, the billing teams will be responsible for that. Or um, We actually have recently uh, recruited or, or hired in a voice of the customer as well, which is essentially a role that sits on top of uh, pretty much every division and sees the sorts of interactions that our clients are having with our organization to figure out what we could do differently and then to be the people that collate or, or coordinate that change. So 750 people in a, chat, in a Slack channel, we, we funnel that information to the right people and then we, we get responsible or we assign responsibility to people to actually influence the change. Cool. So there's basically there's two parallel systems in place, one just for awareness and then one for the actual assigning and all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Any Great. more questions before coffee break? Oh, Luke. Luke. Go easy on me, Luke. If it's, if it's an even number, I've, I've got you. <laughs> so probably more of a people question <coughs> than actual kind of technical is how did you get into what you're doing now, yep. and who and when was HubSpot created? Uh, okay, so I'll start with the HubSpot creation because that happened before I joined. Um, so HubSpot was created by two guys based out of MIT in Boston. Um, we had uh, Brian Halligan and a guy called Dharmesh Shah. So Brian Halligan was uh, a salesperson who was responsible or was seeing that the way in which people interacted with salespeople was changing and their, the way they bought was changing. Uh, so we created this methodology around the inbound approach. So it was looking at the personas you're trying to target, how you're going to actually get them into the system, and uh, approaching them in a way that they want to be uh, reproached. So adding value rather than extracting value. And Dharmesh Shah was the brains behind all of the technical side of our product. So it's built on a CRM that has multiple different layers of uh, sales software and, and service products around it. Uh, so they've been doing it for about 11 years, and um, I joined about two and a half years ago. So my role previously was working in a recruitment company, and I interacted with HubSpot. I used the tools that they created. I uh, looked at performance metrics, KPIs that were relevant to my industry. So I was interacting with HubSpot in a way that I was their personal, or their persona, their perfect persona. I was a marketing manager, and I was um, using the, the products before I even knew that they had a system to sell. And uh, I've been with HubSpot now for the last two and a half years. I absolutely love it. It's a company that I fully believe in, and I, I see what we're doing and the changes that we're making, and, and I love the direction we're going in. So it's a great company to be a part of. And Sorry, can I go one more? Go for it. What's the biggest challenges you face as an organization to grow? Uh, great question. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to the scale at which we're moving. Uh, we are getting a lot of customers through our door. We've built out freemium products. Um, we have uh, lots of different ways that our customers can interact with our business. So a big part of our challenge is actually recruitment and trying to find, this isn't a recruitment ploy, by the way, do not, do not think it is, but we're trying to find the talent to be able to service the customers in a way that works. And actually, that's why 
a huge opportunity for us is the partner community. So our partners like Digital22 are agencies that help us to scale our business to support the customers that we have and solve their problems without us needing to be directly responsible for it. Um, so I think the scale at which we're growing and, and really using those as opportunities to, to build our network. Thank you.